0: Hey guys, what's going on? It's Brennan Sweeney from Coach's Cradle Podcast. Today we have Ferris El-Ali from NCANT University. Ferris is a, another Guilford graduate, which seems to be a common theme on this podcast. But Ferris came to nca last year after a couple stints at App State, JMU, and UMass. Ferris is a really, really, really good people's coach where he develops a lot of really good relationships with his athletes in order to get the most out of them. But on the technical side of things, Ferris also has a lot of really good things to say. He is a big, big, big believer in just doing things the right way. And that's why I appreciate talking to him so much. We can do a lot of really good things in this podcast. So without me taking up any more, much more time, here's Ferris L. Ali from A&T.
1: you know, an invaluable skill. That's an invaluable skill um, for anybody in any, you know, setting, right? Like being able to, to set a goal um, or have, you know, something that you want to accomplish uh, and being persistent in the pursuit of that goal is, you know, something that transcends life. Um, you know, it's not just a, a football thing or it's not just a strength and conditioning thing. And um, it's important to me that, student athletes that I work with and that I'm around understand that, um, as long as they want it, you know, they can have it.
0: Yeah. And and coming from the route that you did, I'm sure some guys, some guys from your class that I'm aware of definitely probably had pro aspirations, but even working with some guys from UMass that we've talked about that went on to play pro lacrosse or even some guys that were at JMU and went on to play professional football, you can at least give them that perspective of there's something bigger out here for you guys to, to work towards. It doesn't always have to be just football because I'm sure you've been a decorated student in your past, or at least had some different accolades that mean just as much to you as your athletic accolades. Yeah, I think. um,
1: Sports end. Right. Right. Uh, You know, football ends, lacrosse ends swimming and diving ends um at least from a a competition perspective uh and i just think that you know when people know that you care about them um you can get through to them and, and uh help them understand that you know the things that we're trying to teach them in this setting aren't just unique to know strength and conditioning or sports performance or training for whatever sport that they're trying to um you know excel at so i think it's it's corny uh in a lot of ways but it's we're we're life coaches you know getting someone stronger and faster and more explosive is um really not as difficult as we we like to chalk it up to be um being consistent uh is what you know drives performance and drives improvements in performance. Um, but, you know, that's with everything in life, right? You know, being consistent, being persistent. Um, it's cliche, but it's true. Uh, and, you know, we're just using this as a vehicle to, to teach those things.
0: Even relating to what you just said about sports and uh, a lot of the qualities that we chase and that we spend hours trying to adapt are, are going to end as well the most part obviously we don't we don't want them to end we want our athletes to stay as healthy as we can uh keep up with for the most part but the reality is a lot of those guys are just going to get desk jobs and uh get fat get lazy and start to gain a bunch of weight like most adults do but as long as you can keep up with some life quality or some life lessons that that you want to instill I think you're going to make a longer lasting impact and I mean even moving on Um, to your own personality we've talked about you working with a bunch of different sports whether that be rowing or men's lacrosse or football which are all super different with the way that the the cultures break down is there a way that you can flow your style between all all those different sports
1: It, it all comes back to people man and you know caring about people and being genuine and uh and how you care for them i think that as long as you um you want the best for the people that you're working with and and serving as a coach um and you remember that you know they have lives and you know they have hardships and they have you know a hundred million things going on in their you know young lives um it's really easy to to build relationships and, and create connections because you know people can smell uh you know bullshit from a mile away excuse my language I don't know uh uh, I, I haven't brushed up on my podcast etiquette, but uh, <laughs> you, um, you know, it's uh, it's funny because, like, if we have a bad day, right? Because we, we're human; like, things happen in our lives. Like, we do our best to be consistent as coaches, but um, if we have a bad day, like, they can tell. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you don't care, they can tell, um, and it, it's incredible how. Uh, powerful, just asking someone how they're doing is, um, you know, shooting someone a text, student athlete a text and being like, Hey, I know you had, this is that. you know, how was your exam? How's your mom? Um, you know, just because they are student athletes and, and football players and baseball players or, you know, what have you, doesn't mean that their life stops and pauses uh, for them to accomplish their goals and then resumes after they graduate. Um, and so it, it's just, it's just about being a good person, you know, being a good coach, I think is built on being a good person and caring about, you know, the people that you're around. Um, It's really hard to, uh, you know, do anything else.
0: So, I mean, shifting into, I mean, it sounds like your style is a lot of relationship building. And I think that's extremely valuable. uh, Even when I work with my own clients for the first while it's just super simple programming and even for the sake of I just don't want to be able to coach a whole lot and then spend more time getting to know who the athlete really is before I start to dive into you know custom programming but let's shift over to programming how does that programming style that you have shift from sport to sport
1: well I think you know we've discussed this um you know they're they're movement patterns that are universal to to all athletes right um and i I know it's talked about a lot like we talk about squat talk about the lunge or or split squats whatever you like to call it hinging pulling pushing what have you um you know the human system doesn't change when the sport changes um you know obviously the qualities that we want to develop change but um patterns do not. for me, you know, obviously as the head strength conditioning coach here at A i I'm working primarily with football. Um, you know, we we try to cover all of our bases. So we um, program squatting patterns, you know, lunging patterns. We push, we pull, um, and then obviously a lot of our supplementary work um, is really built around uh, developing, you know, eccentric strength or isometric strength or uh, addressing any. Uh, issues that we've seen in you know spring ball or you know uh, fall competition, um, you know trying to develop deficiencies that that you know are typically subjective, like oh he's too small or oh, he's too big or um, oh yeah uh, he's not. You know, coaches want to talk about lateral quickness or you know or he's slow or his foot speed, um, and so we try to address some of those issues, um, or perceived issues, but um, you know the foundations are the pillars of you know, strength training don't change. Now, you know, we have a bowling team here, uh, actually probably the best bowling team in the country. I'll, I'll say that on record at a um, you know, they s- squat, hinge, push, pull, lunge, um, at a very different intensity. Uh, we regress, uh, certain movement patterns that we prescribe very different variations, um, for those athletes. And, and um, it's highly dependent on their competitive schedule and their practice schedule. Um, but we don't change. We're not reinventing strength training um, for lack of a better term.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think we're seeing the motivation to strength train more from those different sports that classically do not see it a bunch. And I deal with a couple of golfers that ever since strength training, they just feel a ton better out on the course and I, it may not have been the fact that their squat went up 50 pounds, it may just be the fact that, hey, I feel a little bit more sturdy. I feel a little bit more energetic. Like I'm just ready to go all the time now. And then you can take care of some of those like nagging injuries because we have that background of maybe even just um, prehabbing or whatever the term you want to use is of just one of the most common injuries in the sport. And then let's address those first off, really. Sure. It yeah. depends
1: on where you start, right? Um, and, you know, strength is an expression of movement, competency and neuromuscular coordination. So, uh, if we have an athlete who's never done anything before, who's never resistance trained before, um, and we challenge them to, um, execute an exercise or execute a drill that they've never done, and we progress it. We add, you know, layers of complexity, or we add load, um, and we coach them hard, you know. They're going to become more coordinated and they're going to express the things that we want them to express. You know, we can argue all day about exercise variations, but you know, it's just like, these are also kids, right? Like these aren't, you know, 30 year old professional athletes. Um, we're not getting them fully developed. And so I I think it's important for collegiate strength coaches to remember that, like, even though this, you know, young man looks like a grown man, you know, he's not, you know, uh, 10 year NFL bet. He still has a way to go, or she still has a way to go uh, from a coordination standpoint. And um, we can be creative and we can do things that are fun. We can challenge them in a lot of different ways. Um, but, you know, they're inevitably going to get better if they're consistent.
0: Yeah. That's the, I think what I picked up from, from that really just made me laugh. Cause there's the one expression saying the best ability is availability. And I mean, that's, that's great and all, but the best ability is also just being like really, really good at your sport in in a sense. So some strength coaches play this completely preventative approach where it's just all non-injury stuff or trying somehow to prevent injury, which no one really can prevent injury. I'm sure Jameis Winston tearing his ACL was not a, was not a factor of, you know, his training being mostly in his backyard with his dog, chasing him around doing towel whip drills. If you haven't seen that, it's, it's quite funny, but the, the next thing I wanted to ask you too, is you you've talked to me about the fact that these athletes have already been through a filtering process when it comes to being good athletes in a sense, like they can take stress, they can take load And so we shouldn't train them as fragile athletes. We should train them as people who can adapt and adapt quickly. And so at some point you had just said, I just noticed, you know, you can really, really not fuck these guys up, but like you can train them hard and they're going to respond to it. Well, what, what in your past have you seen that shows you that, Hey, these guys can take load. And then how has that changed your approach to these guys?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, coming from, you know, a few schools before getting the A&T. Uh, and this is the, the example that just stands out in my mind. But, um, you know, track and field doesn't really train hard at a lot of schools that you might visit. Um, you know, they might think that they train hard, but for, for, from a strength coach's perspective, right, they don't. Um, you know, the intensity is not there or the uh, frequency isn't there. To, to sustain and, and um, build you know, actual improvement. Um, coming to a and hearing about our track and field program and then seeing how they train uh, and talking to our coaches, it's incredible. And, you know, we just had a, a handful of athletes drift in and, and grab some lifts today that are still in town. Uh, and they, you know, they're hitting split cleans at, you know, 185 to to 235 at body weights of 160 to 170, which, you know, pretty impressive. Like, I I don't know if I'm going to step out on the platform and um, hit 1.1 times my body weight for, you know, seven sets of of split clean. Um, And, you know, they're really carrying a, a ton of volume in here uh, all the way through indoor season and they're going outside and producing explosive efforts on the track. Now it's up to their sport coaches to vary intensity, vary volume, uh, and really keep their, their ear to the ground in terms of, you know, how their athletes are performing and and to prevent those injuries that we're talking about. But I'm not saying you can just, you know, blow kids up and and they're just going to get better, but you know, it's funny because the, the, the hamstring is the fear, right? Like that, especially in football, like it's like, well, we don't want to pop any hamstrings. We don't want, you know, any groin issues or any soft tissue injuries in general. Um, but if you're consistent with your approach, like our track and field program is like our football program is, uh, and you're consistently training patterns that we know improve performance and, and, you know, help our athletes express quote unquote strength. Um, they're not going to blow up anytime you, you know, add a layer of complexity or add load or um, challenge them to do a a variation of a field drill that, you know, you're prescribing. Um, And it all goes back to that consistency, right? Like, are they consistently training? Are they consistently being exposed to load? Are we progressing in a way that's, you know, both appropriate and, you know, well thought out so um i I hope that answers your question
0: Um, yeah it does and and it's making me think too just with what we're saying about sport coaches having a lot of that control over that other intensity that they see on a day-to-day basis when we start to prescribe intensity and then prescribe load a lot of the things that we're looking at are uh where have they come from in the past I think we're at least taking an educated approach where it's not just, here's a bunch of this load. Here's a bunch of this intensity. Let's just get fucked. And then that's when injuries start to happen. You can't just go from a, let's just say a low intensity block to just destroying them with like German volume training or something like that. Like that's when someone's hurt and even out on the field, you know, you can't go a week with walkthroughs on install when you first get in there and then just have some sort of like, insane conditioning test people pop hamstrings and then the coach is just like guys we gotta we gotta hydrate more obviously you guys aren't hydrating because all these injuries are happening you're just like you just understand what you did you just increased the volume 100 100 to a thousand percent in like half a second um so i think it sounds like you're very consciously aware of when you're installing volume when you're installing intensity
1: periodization you know we we like to to chalk it up to, you know, be this really complex, uh, and. You know, s- scary thing. Um, when the reality, like if you have a plan and you're again, consistent with your approach, um, you're going to see improvement and you're going to see resiliency and, um, you know, markedly improve their ability in your athletes. Um, and, and You have to build relationships with your sport coaches. Now they're not always going to, you know, agree with your opinion. Um, And they might make decisions that, you know, you don't agree with. Um, But it's funny how, when you win, uh, none of that seems to be an issue. Right. Right. Uh, So really like this stuff is um, not that important in the grand scheme of, you know, athletics and competition, like, they win you know it's all good it doesn't matter you look like a genius oh um, a doubt. even if even if they haven't been in the weight room for six weeks um so it's you know
0: yeah and it's funny what, what it losing is. can can do and to mangle a program because the second the defense starts just getting blown up those guys intensity just went through the roof on monday like they're gonna get mother- sure. and ran around and then you're like, okay, well, you know, today's today's program just changed a bunch because of what just happened out there. But that's also good with being flexible as well. Um, and talking about what season we're in, uh, A&T is currently off right now, and like you've talked about with me, uh, guys are just rolling in with the open gym hour. How are you going to organize this season with priorities that, that you've seen from this past season? And then how is that going to lead into going into those more important seasons in the, in the summer, and the fall?
1: So, you know, for our program, um, our priorities are not the weight room. Okay. Our priority is to, uh, cultivate men of high character, um, develop leaders, uh, and put them in positions to lead. Our goal is to, um, build on what has been uh, a championship culture and a, and a dynasty in HBCU football. Um, and our goal is to challenge our student athletes to uh, be the best men that they can be. Now, that that's our number one priority. 365 days a year. If you ask me in a month, two months, three months, that's our priority um, because that's who we are. And we know who we are uh, from a strength and conditioning perspective. Um, you know, our tenants don't change. Right. Like we're. <clears throat> as we kind of move into this early winter or, or late winter or whatever you want to call it, um, pre mat drill period. Um, we have to evaluate where our student athletes are at when they get back on campus. Um, we are setting a standard in terms of what our expectations are for team training. We'll have a lot of new faces. Um, we need to, uh, address, uh, obviously any COVID issues that we might have, uh, moving into this spring. You know, I, I, know that. I personally thought that we'd be done with this, but, um, we're not. So we need to get our athletes tested, get information from our student athletes who might've tested positive over the break. Um, and just kind of get a pulse of where our team is at. Um, You know, I have a plan for our football program, um, but, you know, that plan will change based on, you know, what we look like, how we're um, executing different drills and different movements, um, you know, how gassed we are after our first, you know, tempo session. Um, Not to say that, you know, if our student athletes, you know, face hardship, we're gonna completely and totally transform the program. But um, you know, our priority is to uphold um, you know, our standard while also uh protecting the health and well-being of our student athletes. Um we train four days a week going all the way up until uh spring break uh and we're going to try to expose them to uh as much high speed running um ground based compound multi joint movements uh and you know appropriately prescribe volume as possible um without jeopardizing their health and well-being I, I know that's super vague but that's
0: yeah you know, right that, no i, I appreciate goal. i appreciate the vagueness because some people like to get really specific and it may be more appropriate sometimes to to build at a very vague or a very widespread approach and then tunnel into factors that, that you need to hit. I I think you're a big uh, assessment as you go, guy, when talking about prescribing different sets of volume, how do you start to ramp up that, that aerobic training in football? Um, You had talked and mentioned some, some tempo, some mat work and some different high speed running stuff, but maybe what does a sample session look like for aerobic training uh come off season versus preseason
1: sure so when they get on campus our first training session will be uh monday january 10th um we will start in the weight room we'll start with a a ground-based uh warm-up um we will hit a an upper body session um which will be primarily you know you know edt style um push-ups, inverted rows, uh really what we would consider rudimentary um you know movements will allow them to auto-regulate uh the volume based on you know you know what they're able to accomplish in in the time that we have in the weight room uh we'll record that data uh and then we will go outside our typical um quote unquote aerobic uh field session will include uh, probably an abbreviated dynamic warm up because we will be short on time at that point. Uh, we'll hit our Altus rudiment series. Um, we'll introduce dribble bleeds to them um, because, you know, they haven't done them in you know several months. Um, you know, it's going to be, you know, a lower intensity because they're going to be, you know, falling all over themselves uh, or, you know, trying to master the movement again or, or, to reintroduce um remaster the movement sorry um after we do that we'll hit our tempos on the track we'll probably go three sets of five um at varying distances depending on uh, our position groups um and that's you know up for negotiation and, and really that's that volume is set um because we like to talk about yardage and you know total volume but it really depends on, on how they look like. And I know it sounds silly to say, but, um, you know, our student-athletes haven't been on campus since, um, gosh, the week before Thanksgiving, or the week of Thanksgiving. Um, that was our last required training session. Our, our final exams were virtual. So, um, you know, I don't know what I'm getting. We can say, uh, okay, I, I'm going to hash it out to, we're going to do 50% of our, um, peak volume in, in, you know, the summer of 2021. But the reality is, is, uh, we need to, our program needs to surpass that volume this off season. So, you know, I'm going to start a little bit higher, uh, and, uh, see where we can go from there. If that makes sense. I, I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, no, it, it does. Um, and I think that's actually an interesting point. Of I think some people would just take that same volume every year, but for the guys that have been there and have been really consistent with your training program, they should be able to to catch up and then improve upon that. Um, yeah. And then, the reality
1: so, is, we don't know what they've been doing.
0: Right. You know, right. So everything, everything, no to change. idea. Change. Yeah. Very being very flexible with everything is is always smart. So you know, earlier as well, just the different. Factor that you've had at, at being at an HBCU, and some of that culture can change compared to the different football teams you've you've worked with or or been on. Is there anything that challenges you as a strength coach at the HBCUs that you haven't seen from any other university?
1: Uh, what I will say is that North Carolina a State University has the richest. Uh, history and traditions that, you know, I've encountered at any school that I've worked at. Um, you know, our alumni are incredibly engaged. Um, they're very generous. They uh, are curious. Um, and, and we're talking about guys from, you know, the ABS all the way to guys that graduated uh, in 2018, 2019. Um, people care uh, about our student-athletes. People care about our program. We have a ton of stewards of this program and, uh, it's always interesting, uh, being an outsider coming into a school, but at a specifically, um, because there's so much pride around not only our football program, but the institution, um, you've got to prove yourself. Uh, and that means for us is to produce, right? Like we have to produce explosive efforts. We have to help our athletes produce explosive efforts. Like we're not, we don't get to play anymore. Um, we have to, uh, build connections with our alumni network. We have to build connections with uh, faculty and staff on campus. Um, And it's, uh, I think it was a a challenge for me early because we were still dealing with, um, you know, kind of some question marks in terms of COVID. We had, you know, a lot of students off campus, if not, you know, all of our, you know, traditional students who weren't um, required by their majors to be on campus. Um, you know, we had a lot of people who were working remote, uh, from a faculty and staff perspective. Um, and so it was hard last winter, um, just getting out there and meeting people. Um, you know, obviously it looks like we're going to be facing some similar challenges moving into this January and February, but, um, just being here for this football season and, and seeing how much people love, AT football, it, it's been phenomenal, man. And, and you know, whatever challenges that um, me or my staff faced uh as we were transitioning into our roles uh with this program in this department are, are heavily outweighed by just the amount of love that we've gotten. And um it's exciting.
0: Yeah. I I hear a lot about AT. I work with a lot of A&T alumni and and the the Agu prize is, is certainly strong. They're they're always kept up on their on their Aggie football or whatever sport they choose to follow. And then the last thing I'll ask is just from the first strength coach career, this first strength coach internship that you've had to, to now, how has that changed and how, how do you think that you can still change and move forward as you're continuing your role as the AT strength coach?
1: Um, well, first I'll say I'm not the only one here, right? We, we have yeah. a, a staff of um, – coaches that that care a lot about our student athletes they care a lot about um our teams and our programs and our coaches um so i'm not the only one um but you know from my first internship to now obviously you learn a lot right um learn something new every day whether it's you know a new way of doing uh x y or z um but i would say that perspective um has been incredibly valuable for me. And just um, being able to see how an SEC program is run, being able to see how an A-10 program is run, being able to see how um, a CAA program is run. And now um, being here at a as we transition into Big South competition for all of our sports or most of our sports, um, perspective has been, uh, you know, key for me Um, And just keeping me grounded and knowing that, um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Again, as cliche as that is, um, but, you know, we have a goal or we aspire to be here. um, And that's winning championships in every sport that we have. Um, What does it look like at this school? What did it look like at that school? How are we different? Um, How can we be better? How are we better? Um and, and you take that that knowledge with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, acknowledging your strengths is is huge when it comes to some sports and just being confident in, in what you have. And I'm sure as a coach, you're very confident in the things that, that you know you can do well. Uh, we've talked consistently about about some certain things where I'm just like, man, this guy really knows a lot about this certain subject, and and you definitely wish that you could you could have more knowledge in other subjects, but that's really that's really good and I think this has been really cool from a from a unique perspective even of of you to me uh, same school but very different very different routes so far so this has been great Ferris I appreciate it is there anything you want to plug or talk to before we uh, get you logged off here
1: no check us out um, we've got some teams competing uh, here coming up in our indoor track and field season and um, our bowling team will be resuming competition sooner you know actually our, our basketball teams are playing shoot uh, now that i'm saying that out loud we, we've got everybody playing at this point um but but check the aggies out man you know we're, we're uh blue collar that's what i'll say
0: yeah for sure and i i will recommend everyone just check out the the aggie track team i was i was blown away with just learning all this information about how decorated the these groups are and it's crazy you're going to see some uh highly sponsored athletes or some high level Olympic athletes in there. If you, if you want to dig deep into the, the agri history of track again, Ferris, this has been great, man. I appreciate you coming on and I'm glad we finally got into this and you definitely drop a good amount of knowledge in here. Absolutely. Appreciate you, buddy. Of course, man. Of course. All right. Having, having you to, to hop on the podcast. Um, we definitely certainly had some good conversations over at a t or just on the phone, um, through there, you know, seems like you've been a little, a little all over the place with, with career wise places and even things you wanted to do. So what would you say has helped you the most when talking about your past athletic career? And then how do you incorporate some of those experiences being a a high level football player into your professional career right now? Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I know it's, it's been a busy week. Everyone is traveling and, um, you know, I'm sure you're setting aside some time to, to spend with your family and your people as well. So, um, you know, it, it's it's funny. This is the first Christmas that I've been in North Carolina um, since I've started my strength and conditioning career, um, or the first time I've lived in North Carolina, and uh, I'm happy to be back. But uh, like you mentioned, played football at Guilford College. Uh, which is a small division three school uh, in Greensboro uh, right down the road from A&T, which is where I work now. Um, and it's very different from, you know, the football programs that I've worked with uh, since starting my strength and conditioning career. Right. Um, and you're a Guilford grad, you know, you know exactly what it was like. And, and it was, you know, different when I was there. Um, but it, it doesn't really compare in terms of facilities, budget, um, you know, access to different pieces of equipment or, um, even, you know, some of the things that my student athletes at, uh, you know, my current institution might take for granted. Um, but you know, the, the traditions are still there, right. Um, these things that we, you know, consider rites of passage from a training perspective, uh, whether it's, you know, you know, team runs in the early, uh, spring or, or late winter leading up to spring ball. Um, you know, those are rites of passage that, uh, you know, I went through as a student athlete and, you know, we ask our student athletes to, to compete in as well. Um, you know, just understanding how, how it feels to go from, you know, practice to practice to game, uh, in the fall and, you know, that experience is incredibly valuable for a sports performance professional uh, working in football because you, you know, you can relate, you can truly empathize with, with the student athletes. Um, And really just understanding, uh, understanding the language, right? Like knowing what people are talking about, knowing what they're going through, being able to, to connect, um, with coaches and athletes from a, from a football perspective is incredibly valuable. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but um, those are some of the things that that I brought with me. And obviously, I've been able to work with a, a couple of different um, coaches and teams and, and sports. Um, but those are the, some things that have been consistent.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about being in in their shoes and being able to speak the language and just having a a certain understanding, I think that does a, a large part when you even talk to to the sport coaches, which is a which can be a, a blessing and a frustration for for most strength coaches and in any sector really. Um, but even being able to like just level with them, like, hey, I've been here, like their bodies are beat down, like we need to take like a second or hey, no, like they're ready to go like off of the rip. And yeah, I mean, you've definitely played at some cert or you've definitely coached at some some very high-level schools. The one stop that you had before AT was at James Madison, and they just played for a national championship didn't they
1: uh i believe they they made it to the semi semi-finals they made the semi-final
0: right so even then i mean you still have like a load of credibility when it comes to coaching as well like hey these guys are these guys are just as tough as you guys or you can at least relate to the national level with them about who they're competing against and who they're going up against and then do you even find yourself picking up on on body languages or certain things like that throughout the day that you think some other coaches may not because you've played in that position before?
1: You know, I think, I think it would be hard-pressed to find a, a college football coach that didn't play football at, at one point or another in their well, life. Well, even like – even strength. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, one, being from North Carolina, uh, knowing, you know, what high schools these guys went to, uh, the traditions of some of those high schools and uh, the winning traditions for, you know, to be more specific, um, you know, and being able to, to talk about, you know, we have a bunch of kids from Charlotte and I'm, I'm originally from Charlotte uh, and being able to sit down and talk to them about, you know, some of the things that, you know, were, were going on whenever I was in high school and competing in, uh, you know, some conferences that don't exist now in Charlotte and, you know, playing with and against some of the players that, you know, have come out of um, the Southwestern 4A conference that, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, it allows it allows us to, um, or it allows me specifically to um, just connect, right, uh, and, and be able to, you know, uh, how do you say it? Like, I think that my athletes trust me more because they know that I know, Yeah, you got you have some. Where they come from, right? Yeah. Um